Hello, golfers. Hey, golfers here. Now live on WWLS, the sports animal, this is the 73rd hole with Sam Humphreys. I'm Tiger Woods. I'm Tiger Woods. Sam. Oklahoma's premier golf show, giving you insider access and interviews to golf in the state of Oklahoma and on the PGA Tour. Good shot. It's the 73rd hole. I love (laughs) y'all. On 98.1 FM. WWLS, the sports animal. Everybody, welcome into the 73rd Hole Radio Show live on the Sports Animal. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. And we are the champions. All of us, Oklahomans, are the champions this morning because our man, Taylor Gooch, from Carl Albert High School, from Midwest City, now by way of the Live Tour, Taylor Gooch is a first-time winner at Live Golf Adelaide. T-Dub, what were your thoughts watching that last night? And welcome to the show this morning. I'm still hyped up. I, I didn't really sleep very good last night, T-Dub. No, with, with the golf ending in Australia, what, about 2 o'clock last night? Yeah, it was definitely a late evening, but great to see our man T.G. Taylor Gooch get it done. Looked like... Started the day with a 10-shot lead, Sam, and at a point it looked like it may have gotten a little bit smaller, and it definitely did there for a while. But he was able to grind it out and uh, get over some hurdles that he had kind of in the middle part of his round and get it done. So it was absolutely a beautiful thing to see. And what's even more beautiful, Sam, is TG's bank account. $4 million more million to the man? That's just unbelievable. It truly is. And, T-Dub, you're exactly right. There was a point during that round where I was, like, texting my buddies saying, I'm extremely nervous right now. This could go one of two ways, and the, one of those ways was not very good. And Honor Bon Lahiri kept just making birdie after birdie after birdie, T-Dub. And, T-G, look, here's the thing is, Taylor, you can attest to this, that playing with a big lead is the toughest thing to do in golf and a 10 shot lead. We have to talk about how historic that that is to have with one round to play. For instance, on the PGA tour, the largest leads with 18 holes to play Bobby Locke back in 1948 had a 13 shot lead. Sam Sneed in 1936 had a 13 shot lead. Gene Saracen in 1927 had an 11 shot lead. Um, And then you have Gene Littler, Ben Hogan, Gene Saracen, and Walter Hagen, who all had 10-shot leads with 18 holes to play. And then obviously the last time it happened, Tiger Woods at the 2000 U.S. Open um, teed up. Those were all after three rounds. I mean, for him to shoot two back-to-back double-digit under-par rounds and be up by 10 it's so tough to not just play defensive and, and it's, it's almost like off the tee. He was trying to guide it. It's like, you know, you have basically already won, but it, you haven't won yet. T-Dub, it's hard to kind of convince yourself to still be aggressive, right? Yeah. You still have to execute the shots at hand and it can be extremely hard thing to do. And one thing we talk about all the time, right? Sam is one of the hardest things to do in golf 
is to play a great round and then back it up with another great round. TG goes on and shoots 10 under 62. First round actually set the uh, the single round. Uh, the, uh, 62 is the lowest score uh, tied for Liv that anyone had shot. But this was the first time it had been done on a par 72 course. So it was the lowest score to par relative in Liv's short history. And then comes back and falls in exactly the same thing against him the next day with a, uh, another 62, 10 under. I mean, it was just crazy to see how well he was playing. What did he do? He went the first 42 holes that he played without a bogey. So, I mean, just the golf that, that he was playing, Sam, was just absolutely spectacular. Some very similar to what, we, what I saw a lot of times growing up. Right? I was just like, man, this guy's playing so good, and there's really not much that you can do to go out and beat him. He's just hit, He was hitting a lot of fairways, and he was hitting a lot of greens, too, and he's putting himself really in the middle of the greens, below the holes, was never really getting out of position those first two rounds. It was just clear-cut great golf, and you make such a great point, Sam, that all those leads you talked about, after three rounds, he was beating some of the best players in the world by 10 shots after two rounds. It's just absolutely mind-boggling. You say he hit a lot of fairways and a lot of greens in those first two rounds, T-Dub. That's an understatement. Get this. Fairways hit in the first two rounds. He hit 89% of his fairways. And in the first two rounds, he hit 97% of his greens and then went on. Uh, to it, it, He ended up hitting 42 greens in regulation in a row, T-Dub. I mean, that is unheard of stuff from TG. And then, obviously, you have nine holes to play and things get a little sideways, and then I thought he lost focus a little bit, started going a little too fast, and I thought Mal Baker did a good job of settling him down uh, with about seven holes to play, and I thought that birdie he made after that double bogey uh, was a big putt, T-Dub. But, yeah, it it was one of those situations, T-Dub, at least watching TG just golf-wise, where we've always talked with him about it, and he said this on our podcast, that if he's able to hit fairways, there's not many people in the world that can beat Taylor Gooch because his iron play is so solid and his short game is so solid. And he proved that this week in the first two rounds. And then when he did falter, he's a fighter. And a lot of people, I mean, that lead, that 10 shot lead on the last day got down to two shots. And remember on live a two shot lead, like honor Bon Lahiri is playing the same amount of holes. So they were two shots with the same amount of holes left to play. That is very, very nerve wracking T-Dub. And he was able to collect himself, make the birdies when he needed to, and then make the clutch six foot par putt at 17 and was able to kind of waltz to victory on 18. Man, I couldn't be happier for the guy. Oh, there, there's no doubt about it. Couldn't be happy for the guy. But, but you mentioned the middle part of the round, Sam, and it's very intriguing because Hole seven, nine, and ten at this course are par five. So three out of four holes stretch you have par fives. And so TG looks like he hasn't made a bogey yet going up into number seven for the entire tournament. So you're thinking, all right, well, this is where he can make a few birdies here and kind of extend his lead. Well, he goes out and he bogeys seven, which is a par five. Then he actually makes a really, really good bogey on number eight, which I think was an absolute round saver because if he makes a double there, it would have been tricky. But then he has two back-to-back par fives after that, and you think, all right, well, maybe he can make another birdie or even potentially an eagle like we saw in the first couple rounds. But, no, he makes a par on nine and then makes a very, very bad double on ten. Doesn't have a very good bunker shot and then misses about a, about a three-footer for bogey on that hole. So that's where you thought it could all start coming unraveling, right, Sam? But then, as you mentioned earlier, that, that extremely great birdie they made on 11 and then hit a beautiful, beautiful second shot on 13 in there to about 25 feet below the hole led to an easy two-putt there so yeah it, it de- there's definitely moments there Sam because Lahiri was playing so well there for a stretch you thought TG could uh, you know start the wheels kind of just start to come off a little bit but uh I just think that it was the timing of it Sam right because those par fives are there and he wasn't able to take advantage of them but then even when tougher holes came on later down the road he was able to rebound I thought it was very impressive 
No doubt about it. You mentioned, and I mentioned earlier, what Lahiri was doing at the same time. Lahiri started on number two, and he goes birdie birdie on four and five, and then eagle birdie on seven and eight. Then he gets a birdie at 10. He birdies 13, and he birdies 17. So he's eight under on his round and then ends up bogeying number one, his last hole. Um, but, I mean, T-Dub, there was some times there on probably on 15 and 16 that Lahiri had birdie putts that I felt like, you know, missed by a millimeter, right? It, it just seemed like TG was dodging some bullets from Lahiri at that point. Oh, 100% he was. Yeah, Lahiri had those, had those two putts back-to-back. I just just skirted right by the right side of the hole, and you're thinking, man, if just one of those could have fell, could have put a little bit more pressure on TG, because I think at that point it would have got him to within one of the lead. And like you said, he did bogey his last hole, didn't really matter a whole lot. The crushers weren't really up there. And uh, and then uh, he still finished second solo, one shot above um, Patrick Reed and uh, a, a trio or a quad of people of Cam Smith, Cameron, Cameron Tringali, and Pat Perez as well. So, so no, Lahiri definitely had a chance, um, especially there in that middle part of the round, very similar to TG, where it just seemed like the middle part of their rounds was just absolutely flip-flopped. Lahiri just played those holes so extensively well, and TG was just able to rebound. But it was an absolutely pristine golf course. The, the 12th hole there, the uh, the watering hole, was pretty cool to see how those guys uh, navigated that. But, uh, but yeah, it was definitely the start of the day, Sam. You thought there was going to be a lot more focus on just the team competition because TG would probably win by – I don't know. He was leading by 10, so he thought maybe five or six shot win. But they only ended up winning by three, and as you mentioned, it got a lot closer than that. It's uh, it's one of those deals to where if you didn't watch the golf and you just looked at the end results, you'd think, oh, well, he just kind of ran away and kind of coasted into it. But, no, it was definitely a, a, a nice heated race there for at least a good hour or so. No doubt about it. You mentioned the team competition, and T-Dub, we'll get into the, the atmosphere and the crowd and the watering hole and all that next segment. As far as the team competition, the four aces come back and shoot 18 under in the third round. Uh, the range goats only shoot 10 under in the third round. Stinger ends up shooting 11 under in the third round. So it, it ends up that the four aces end up winning by one shot over the range goats. Um, I thought that the team competition would have been pretty entertaining if I wasn't so nervous for Taylor Gooch just winning individually. <laughs> T-dubs. I, I, I kept, they kept, trying to kind of uh you know show us the team competition and i hate like for instance it was an awesome moment when pat perez on the watering hole makes the long putt to give the four aces a two-shot lead and he starts going crazy and the fans start throwing beers on the green and i'm thinking oh no this is right after taylor gooch had kind of faltered a little bit and all we need from him on this hole is a two putt and he had just three putted you know a couple holes before (laughs) i'm thinking oh man i don't know that could have been a little bit of gamesmanship but I was so hyper-focused on TG winning this golf tournament that I couldn't really allow myself to enjoy the team competition, but it was a hell of a team competition, T-Dub. Yeah, so, so in, for anyone who wasn't watching, just imagine what you see at TBC Scottsdale every year, or at least when someone makes a hole-in-one with all the beers going on the greens. That, that's basically what happened after Pat Perez made this 40-footer, and TG still had a 20-footer for birdie. So just imagine all the beer and waters, pretty much casual water, probably between him and the hole through his putt. So <laughs> a, a little bit of side distraction there for our man TG on the watering hole. But, but Sam, the four aces were just playing so exceptional. In the second round, they threw out a four-under par. Peter Ulan shot four-under. Perez shot five-under. DJ and Reed shot seven-under, both of them. And then yesterday, they throw out a five-under. Pat Perez and DJ both shoot five-under. Ulan shoot six-under. Patrick Reed shoots seven-under. I mean, that's just absolutely stellar stuff there. I mean, they were just playing so phenomenally. And TG, obviously, he shoots a 10-under the first two rounds for the Range Goats. And that's enough to backpack them for a while. Shoots the one over yesterday. 
But Harold Varner had a chance. He actually doubled, I believe, his 17th hole and then uh, bogeyed 18 as well. So he had some uh, some definite opportunities coming down the stretch to where the Range Goats could have won and they didn't. Thomas Peters actually birdied, I believe, his last four holes as well. So he actually made a little bit of a run. For his score to count, for a large majority of the day, Gooch and, and Peters were basically tied on the round. Peters was definitely the uh, the bringing up the rear when it comes to the Range Goats. So, uh, and and I, I believe it was after, before the second round, they had a little snippet of, of TG and Harold Varner on their ride to the course. And you could just hear them talking about how much they wanted to win that ke- uh, team competition. And I thought that was something that would really actually help TG yesterday. And I think it probably did in some areas because, yes, when you ha- and normally when you just have a 10-shot lead, you're just focused on winning it for yourself. But then you have the team competition, which is so tight, and you have to go out and make sure that every – I mean, you can make a birdie here or there for your team to win by one where that birdie would only have the difference and you win in between five or six shots. Usually it wouldn't matter, but in this time it did. So, actually, I think the team competition, Sam, may have helped TG, especially in that middle part of the stretch like we were talking about where it started to come apart and maybe help him refocus a little bit because he knows he's not playing just for himself. Yeah, no doubt about it. Obviously, we mentioned Lahiri. He finishes uh, solo second at 16-under. Patrick Reed shoots back-to-back seven-under pars in his last two rounds to finish at 15-under, tied for third with Cam Smith, who shot back-to-back six-under pars to finish his tournament. Cameron Tringali shoots seven-under, five-under to finish. Uh, And then Pat Perez... I mean, Mr. Consistent, who wasn't Mr. Consistent last year, he shoots three five-under par rounds um, at Live Golf Adelaide. All those guys tied for third place uh, there at 15-under. Peter Uline, formerly of Oklahoma State, finishes at 14-under along with Burmester and Charles Schwartzel. And then I saw some nice things from DJ. DJ shot uh, seven-under, five-under to finish off uh, his tournament and finish at 13 under. But T-Dub, we just have to talk about how cool this moment is for Taylor Gooch. And if you remember, fans out there, that when he left the PGA Tour, he was in the top 10 on the FedEx Cup. Uh, he was in the top 30 in the world. And this was a risk, to say the least, for him to go to live. But he felt like it was what was best for his family. And he felt like it was what was best for the game of golf. He wanted to be one of the younger stars or up-and-coming stars. He felt like that's what Liv needed. And he believed in the product that Liv had. And man, T-Dub, we'll get to the crowds out at Adelaide. And for him to win and you know be coordinated like that, like T-Dub, those crowds were like, Phil Mickelson at the PGA or, you know, similar to Tiger at the tour championship. And I know that this tournament does not compare to those tournaments, but the atmosphere did. And it was our man, Taylor Gooch right in the middle of it. And it's really cool that he took the risk bet on himself. And now he's getting paid off for it. Well, I definitely think that this win is going to help justify his decision, especially the naysayers. Out there as well, and also too, one thing that that I feel like live I could could say they should improve on is that I feel like a lot of their focus when it comes to marketing and all that stuff has been on the, the uh, pre-existing players, right? The Phil Mickelson's, the Dustin Johnson's, the Cam Smiths, and rightfully so, Cam Smith just won a major last year. But I feel like they could have put more emphasis on the the top the guy that you just mentioned, the top thirty player in the world who just came over and he's thirty one years old or whatever. I mean that's that's a pretty big leap for for a guy to do like that. He could have definitely stayed in the safe cu- kind of cushy position on the PGA Tour, but no, and even things that he's talked about on our podcast before, right? He's a big, well, he was a fan of guaranteed contracts with his friend JT Romoto playing in the MLBs, and, and so there was a, a lot of dynamics going on there, and I feel like they, he'd been play, he had been playing solid on Liv when he went over. They've been making 
a lot of steady paychecks, especially last year when he was on the four aces team with with Dustin Johnson, Patrick and Pat Perez. But but this year, even you mentioned, he'd been playing solidly and finished 14th, 14th, and 18th. So hadn't cracked the top 10 this year, but also had not finished worse than than outside of the top 20. So very, very steady there, finished 34th at the Masters. And uh, I actually watched him a good amount on the range when I was there Wednesday. And he was absolutely flushing and hitting a solid. I actually expected him to play a little bit better at the Masters than he did, but with the weather and all that stuff can happen. But, no, I feel like that this, Sam, is really hope. Hopefully, at least, and the naysayers are always going to be naysayers. There's really not much you can do about that. But as long as he believes himself that this justifies the decision, I think going out and winning the $4 million purse, as you mentioned, in, uh, in extremely great crowds – and also, too, just with the, the pressure that came in that middle round, because it, it can be harder to play with a huge lead than sometimes it is to have just even a one- or two-shot lead. So there's a lot of adversity TG had to face, and he went uh, head first and was able to challenge it. So, yes, yeah, so hopefully the naysayers are always going to be there, Sam, but as long as he believes himself he made the right decision, which I do think that he does, then that's all that he needs, and I think this win even pushes that even further. Another thing this win does for Taylor Gooch is – draw more attention to the fact that how ridiculous the official world golf ranking is T-Dub right now, Taylor Gooch is not even in the PGA or the U S open. <laughs> Think about that. Is that That's good for golf? After what we watched no, last not, night, is that good for bit. golf? Really? Seriously? Let, let's talk about that. No, it's absolutely not good for golf. No, you're going to have all kinds of names who, who should be there that aren't. I mean, even someone like Charles Howes III, I mean, he's a top 50 player in the world, and he's ranked 380th or something in the world. So, no, it's absolutely crazy. I mean, the only shining light is that the U.S. Open, the Open Championship, British Open, he could qualify for those still, and really anyone can. So if they're going to have the system skewed against them, they can get through it that way. But the PJ Championship, there's really just no way around that. I don't think there is a scenario, Sam, where TG can get in the, the PJ Championship at this point. So, yeah, that's uh, – it's very disheartening to see because I don't think there's any doubt in my mind he's 43rd ranked analytically right now, and I don't even I don't think that's actually updated from last night's win either. So uh, he's definitely going to move up in that aspect. So yeah, I think he had a, a few strokes gained last <laughs> the last couple <of> days. <laughs> yeah, one or two, especially after those first uh, two rounds. So yeah, Sam, I think anytime you have a clear top 50 player who's not injured, who's not playing in a major, it's an absolute crime, and I think that it's going to even be more so this year at the PGA. No doubt about it. And we can get into a lot more of the atmosphere at Live Golf Adelaide this week. We also have team competition on the PGA Tour this week that we'll dive into at the Zurich Classic. Uh, and then OU and OSU and all the Big 12 teams are headed up to Prairie Dunes uh, tomorrow. The Big 12 championships start tomorrow at Prairie Dunes. We'll dive into that here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show live on the Sports Animal and before we go to break here, I do want to remind everybody to go subscribe to the 73rd Hole Podcast. It's anywhere you get your podcast, plus golfoklahoma.org and right here on thesportsanimal.com. And it's absolutely free to subscribe. It just helps us out and gives you a notification when we drop a new episode. And there's a good chance that we'll be dropping a new episode sometime soon. Now, I don't know when we're going to get Taylor because we're going to get him, but he's going to Singapore and they're like 14 hours ahead and and he's going from a place that's 14 hours ahead. So we'll do our best for all the fans here in Oklahoma. And by the way, he's going to be in Oklahoma the week before the PGA championship and Preston, before we go to break, I want to let the people hear what Taylor Gooch had to say to the fans in Oklahoma after the win yesterday. 
We're going to toast her in three weeks. It's going to be like this. You're going to be pumped. Hey, Oklahoma, better better show out for me and better show out for Liv. Uh, I'm excited. It's going to be a blast. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, we can get both an individual and a team victory in Tulsa. Congratulations. Taylor Gooch is challenging you guys, Oklahoma. You saw what Australia did. Now, that's going to be hard to top. But go support our Oklahoma guys at Live Golf Tulsa at Cedar Ridge in Broken Arrow coming up May 12th through the 14th. All right, let's hit a break. And then after the break, we'll be back and talk some more golf here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show live on the Sports Animal. This is going all the way. Chase Kepka at 12. The watering hole. He's posing. Oh, yeah. Chase Kepka. Oh! We promised you an ace on 12, and Chase Kepka has delivered! And that was the call from Live Golf and David Faraday yesterday. When Chase Kepka stepped up to the watering hole, which was number 12 at Live Golf Adelaide and T-Dub, that place went absolutely bonkers. You had Burt Kreischer with his shirt off doing the windmill, pumping up the crowd, beers flying everywhere. T-Dub, I mean, I know that it was their attempt at doing the 16th at TPC Scottsdale and doing the waste management thing. I, I was shocked, T-Dub, that it actually worked. And I felt like there was – those crowds rivaled that of, you know, even major championships, T-Dub. There were so many people out there, and they were lining every single hole, right? I, it, it was crazy that – you know, I took a bunch of pictures that I tweeted out that there was people – five deep lining these holes that weren't even the party hole. And then the party hole was going crazy. The watering hole T-Dub. I think that part of it is that Australia has been so deprived of professional golf. Uh, and obviously their, their idol, uh, Greg Norman and then Cam Smith obviously are on live. I think that that has a big thing to do with it. Um, but T-Dub, I was shocked that live golf Adelaide had crowds that I would say, rivaled any professional tournament this year other than the waste management. Obviously, the waste management is still the biggest, and it has been the biggest, and it's been the biggest since 1990s, right, since our lifetime, T-Dub. But for a regular season professional golf event, this was the best crowd that I've seen other than the waste management on either tour or any tour around the world. Well, I remember, what was it, a couple months ago when they officially released the live schedule you heard about the, the Live Australia when they, they sold out their tickets in like three hours or three days or something like that. Like, it was absolutely crazy. So they had to essentially get more tickets to sell because there was such a high demand for them. And so you expected the crowds to be pretty good just based off that. But, no, I was even a little bit more impressed with what I saw, Sam. Just, I mean, maybe it was just the cameras they were showing. I don't know. But it just looked like there was a ton of people there. And it seemed like there wasn't – normally when you pan around, especially to every single hole like they do – You'll see, all right, there'll be one or two holes where there's, like, there's no one there, right? Maybe even back on a tee box or something like that. But, no, it, it seemed like there was people all over the place. And as you mentioned, the atmosphere was crazy. That 12th hole was pretty cool. They were, they were looking for a hole-in-one all week, Sam. There's no doubt about it. They were throwing beer on the, on the, 
on the uh, tee box whenever they were hitting it to like five feet. You know, I was like, is that really necessary? I probably not, but probably <laughs> so. When a hole in one happens, it's probably due. And, and I'm glad that the fans were able to get it. I thought they were going to go all week without having one, which kind of would have been a shame. But no, it's it's great. It's actually the only the only the second hole in one in live golf history. The first one was done. Uh, by Matt Wolf in one of the first couple events. I think it may have been at Trump Bedminster or one of those courses. But nevertheless, something that hasn't been done so much on the live. And one thing I thought was interesting was that I kind of expected that 12th hole to be like the waste management, where if you miss the green, they booed you and they, they were heckling you a lot. And they didn't really seem to be a lot of that. They obviously celebrated good shots, but the bad shots, they didn't really get so down on. So, I mean, that they was a, boo- a little bit they, different. than They did boo Patrick Reed. <laughs> well, I think we're all going to boo Patrick Reed soon. I think there's really just no – way around it doesn't matter what hole you're you're ever playing he is going to get boots so there are special occasions on this but no there was definitely a little bit of contrast between that and the 16th at waste management as it keeps getting compared to but but overall i think one thing that was cool was they kept showing on the side of just how loud it was there with the they had the different examples they had like a live like live rock music they had a chainsaw they had all these different other sound effects they could have done and uh, just the music they had the walk-up songs and all i think that it's it's definitely, Sam, it's going to go two do different ways. If this, if everything in this is run as a correct business as I should, I think this could end up being a very big future in golf because there's a high demand for this. They kind of mentioned this in the broadcast, right? There is always going to be a demand for just traditional golf and, and the, the quote-unquote grandpas and the traditionalists of the game will, will love the golf that way. But, no, I think the younger generation absolutely loves this, and uh, it's something that – is it something that should happen at every single golf tournament, Sam? Probably not. But on certain occasions, especially like live, I think almost every, at least one hole at every live tournament should be set up like this, in my opinion. No, and it was absolutely awesome. And live are geniuses for going to Australia and going to places that haven't had, uh, you know, regular season PGA Tour events in the past. And these people absolutely love it. And I thought that Australia this week, T-Dub, showed the vision that, Greg Norman and Liv had in the first place and Phil Mickelson because we haven't necessarily seen it in the States yet. And then the other places that they've gone, there's been some hesitancy to kind of embrace live and Australia fully embraced live and the, the concept of it and take all the political stuff out of it. Just look at the product of not only the golf, but the, you know, the entertainment factor around it. It it was like watching, for instance, a college basketball game versus an NBA game entertainment-wise being there. And you could just feel that even through the TV and T-Dub. That, to me, shows that the Australian, number one, the Australian media has embraced Liv. And, you know, the people were extremely excited about it. And that's where, in the States, I feel like you have, outlets like the golf channel or you could go on down the list of different outlets uh, that don't like live because their paychecks depend on it and for that reason a lot of people like for instance the golf channel didn't even talk about live golf adelaide which was one of the best events of the year so far t-dub and so they're trying to you know keep it a secret from all the u.s fans um so i thought it was interesting that you definitely didn't see that in australia leading up to the event and everyone embraced it, and you kind of saw what the vision of Phil Mickelson and, and, and Greg Norman was in the first place. I think you're absolutely right there, Sam. And one thing we've talked about to pretty much agnosium is that will the Live ever be able to dominate the U, the United States? Probably not. Are they going to be able to get above the PGA Tour there? I would say no. But when you come to a global tour, just because of all the international players they do have, and I think that's one of the things – that Liv really wanted to focus on was not just getting the United States, but getting all over the world with Anna Bon Lahiri being 
uh, one of the the best Indian player out there. You have all the Fireballs, who are the uh, the Latin America team, Team Torque as well. So and the, the Ripper team from Australia. So I mean, they definitely want to go global, and so I think there's there's definitely some ways they can benefit from doing that. And one thing that's interesting, Sam, you mentioned just the the product being out there. So for anyone who who hasn't been watching, if you wanted to watch late night as we did, you had to watch. On the CW app, why they didn't show it on the CW is really beyond me. I think well, that would have been a will, great opportunity so for them. I, I, I figured out why they did that. They're they're going to play it at the normal time that it normally airs at noon, uh, our time here in Oklahoma. And so it's on tape delay, unfortunately, since Australia is 14 hours ahead. But every other event, um, maybe not Singapore, but every other event that's similar time will be uh, live on the CW. But, yeah, exactly right, T-Dub. I didn't realize that that was going to happen either. Yeah, I thought that was a missed opportunity there, but you mentioned the tape delay, and this is, goes exactly to my point. So yesterday when I'm watching it, you have the tape delay of Liv, which I know everything that happens. I, I know the, the, the shots. I know where the leaderboard stands. And I also have the team championship of the Zurich Classic on the PJ Tour. And I absolutely – I I got uh, Billy Horschel and Sam Burns up there in the one done, so I have a little bit of focus on this, wanting to see them do good. And even already knowing what transpired, Sam, I was catching myself watching more of the live than I was the, the, the Zurich, even though the Zurich was live and the live was tape delay. I thought that was absolutely crazy, but it just goes to the point of the, the product and actually the entertainment value that you get while you're watching, let opposed to even being there. But just watching it, in my opinion, was astronomically better than what we were getting on the PJ Tour. Look, I don't even think it should be a – Live is better than the PGA Tour. The product's better than the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour product's better than Live. I don't think it should even be that. I I just feel like both tours can coexist. The problem and why there's such debate right now is because of what we saw. The guy that shot two 10-unders this week isn't even going to get in the major championships because of the official world golf ranking if... Uh, you know, the major championships just gave Liv 10 spots into the major championships. We could all start, stop arguing about this, and then you could watch whatever product that you like. And for instance, the major championships or the big events, I don't need, you know, the, the music and the festival type feel. I don't want that at my major championships, but I think it's fun to do, for instance, like the waste management does on the PGA Tour. And like, I feel like that the extreme party tournament for live is always going to be in Australia now for years to come. Um, but T-Dub, I, I feel like they can coexist, but the problem is the, the feuds that began at the beginning um, are kind of festering into people saying that one product's better than the other when, you know, right now is golf paradise and eventually it's going to stop because last week we got an awesome elevated event at the RBC heritage, right? With the playoff between Matthew Fitzpatrick and Jordan Spieth. And it was great theater to watch. And it was one of the best tournaments to watch of the year. That was awesome. And then no elevated event this week. You have the Zurich classic, which is kind of an exhibition, right? T-Dub. No, I'm just joking there. But what I'm saying is, then you have live and, and, and then it's going to go live and then it's going to go elevated event. Then it's going to go major championship. Then it's going to go live. You have them being able to coexist and they don't play at the same times. So I don't understand why it has to be one's better than the other. It's just watch what you want to watch. And I feel like if you're a real golf fan, you're going to enjoy both. Well, and I completely agree, Sam. I think that both can coexist. I've been saying that for over a, a year now, but I think where it breaks down for me is, is that, I agree that you shouldn't look at the product as in what is better from an overall aspect between Liv and the PJ Tour because an elevated event on the PJ Tour versus a non-elevated event, it's like night and day now. So it's hard to 
compare the both of those. But what I try to do is uh, whenever there is a live event versus a PJ Tour event the same week, I'm going to try to analyze both of the products I see, especially, as you mentioned, they were on a bo- uh, different times, but they're actually being shown at the same time because of the tape delay, and there are some times where they are together. So I try to flip-flop with both of them, and I try to see, okay, which one of these is actually better? And to me, it's a great – the live tournaments have always been on weeks that aren't on elevated PJ tournaments, but every single time, Sam, I look at it and I say, man, this is – it's just better. It's more entertaining to me. It is. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me wanting to see a, a newer product, something that's only been around for a year. Maybe there's a little bit of that, but I don't know, Sam. I just watch both of them, and the thing that gets me is that there's still numerous people out there who who will say something bad about Liv. The majority of them haven't even watched it and will say how much better the PJ Tour is than Liv when they don't even give it a chance. That's what upsets me more than anything is the, uh, the continuously saying that something isn't very good whenever you haven't watched the product or even if you do watch both of them. And you say it's not good. I mean, I guess that's just your personal taste, but I just don't see how you could you could watch both of those tournaments yesterday and think the PGA Tour one is that much astronomically better than the Live. I don't see how that's possible in my mind. No, it's not. And for instance, we just got this text on the Trade Pros Heat and Air Text Nation line. By the way, thank you for listening. And he brings up a decent point that I've heard a lot of people say. It says, I watched Live once and it reminded me of a Tuesday money game on the PGA Tour with shorts and a few cocktails. Well, I think at the beginning, it kind of did feel like that because people were so hesitant to accept it. But I would say go back and go to my Twitter, even at Sam Humphreys 34 on Twitter and look at some of those videos from this week, T-Dub. And it was night and day from the beginning of Live till now. Uh, The question I'll ask you, T-Dub, is what do you think that Live has gotten better at uh, since the beginning? Or do you think that more people are just you know, slowly accepting it from the inaugural live event in, uh, in London. Uh, I do think the caller or the, the texture does have some validity. to what he's saying live is definitely more laid back than what the PJ tour is. Like even yesterday, uh, there's like three minutes or two minutes to go until the shotgun start. And, and they just show TG. He's just on his phone talking to someone who knows who it is, but uh, just on his phone, <laughs> two minutes for his tea time. It's like, you're not going to see someone with a starter on the first row of the PJ Tour and them talking on their cell phone. Like, that, that's not going to happen. They may be sending a text or something like that. But, but, no, it definitely is more laid back. So I definitely see a little bit of validity to that. But where they've improved, Sam, is is you kind of mentioned it just there, of just there's more acceptance to it. Um, one, one thing they've actually added a lot more of this year, even compared to last year where they had some, is just the different graphics and stuff. I actually saw the PJ Tour actually copied one of, one of Liv's deals where it was the – if you hit the fairway, what your uh, stroke averages versus the left versus the right – uh, Liv did that, I think, at their first event this year, and then I saw the PGA Tour did it at an event. I believe it, was, it might have been last week at the RBC where I first saw it. It may be off on exactly those time frames. But uh, I think just the overall display of the product, Sam, to me, has gotten better. As We'll be able to see a little bit in a couple weeks at Cedar Ridge because we were obviously at the PGA Championship so much last year. So we'll be able to see how a Live event actually compares to being there to a major championship. So that will be really cool to see. But as far as just being able to see – and watch the product, Sam. I just think it's gotten better in the presentation of it. And uh, just, uh, as you said, I think the main thing is just the acceptance of it. While I mentioned earlier there still are haters out there who are super against Liv, there doesn't seem to be near as many as there were six to eight months ago for sure. No, that's exactly right. And I would also say that the last two major championships played a big part in that. Obviously with Cam Smith winning the Open Championship and then going to live. And then obviously if there weren't any live guys in the Masters, then John Rahm would have won by five. There were three golfers from the Live Golf Tour that were in uh, T-Dub, the top three or the top. There were three golfers in the top four at Augusta National. And so 
um, I think that it's give, given a lot of validity to what Liv is trying to do in the fact that the golf has been really solid uh, since the beginning as well, plus all of the other stuff that Liv tries to do. I think when the golf is good, it makes the entertainment around the tournament and the music and the festivals and all that, it makes it fun instead of like a joke, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah, how they played in the – especially the Masters definitely – Really helped all that as well. And think about it too, right? I mean, even when Liv first started in, in Liv London back in June of last year, I mean, they didn't have all, all the players they do now. I mean, Brooks Kepka didn't play in the, in that first Liv event. Uh, Bubba Watson didn't play in that first Liv event. And, and, like, Bryson as well. I know he's not playing very well now. But at least he, he, they were still able to get more names, right? And they even did that this offseason, getting the guy who, who almost helped the, uh, the range go yesterday get a win, and Thomas Peters. I mean, that's an absolutely huge name. I mean, I know he's not playing particularly well, but he was a – a top 50 player in the world, just as talented as almost anyone else, and his potential there can, can hit the moon and go back. And, like, they got Joaquin Neiman later on as well, and obviously you mentioned Cam Smith getting him after the church championship last year. So not only just the players have been playing better, Sam, but they just were able to add great players to their roster, which when you only have 48 of them, you need them, the most of them to be pretty good. And with the exception of a handful, a handful of guys, they do have exactly that. There's no doubt about it. And if you're a golf fan, I promise you, and you live in Oklahoma, you should go to Live Golf Tulsa on May 12th through the 14th because you're going to enjoy the product. And and if you don't like the festival, you're going to like the golf. Or if you don't really care about golf, you're going to like the entertainment value around it. I strongly encourage everybody to go support not only Taylor Gooch and Charles Howe III and Matthew Wolf and all the Oklahoma guys, Abe Answer, um, that are on live, but just go support, you know, the Oklahoma community and go up to Cedar Ridge and broken arrow for live golf Tulsa coming up May 12th through the 14th T dub. When we get back, we're going to talk Zurich classic here on the 73rd hole radio show live on the sports animal. And we're back here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. One thing that we didn't have time to get to last segment that I want to bring up uh, is I want to ask Preston, what are, what are your thoughts? And you've obviously been a casual golf fan your whole life and, um, you know, kind of a little bit more now that you've been producing for the 73rd Hole. And you've kind of seen the beginning of Live and then the startup and then obviously – you've watched the PGA tour throughout your life. What are your thoughts on, you know, what we've seen the growth from live and, and do you enjoy the product as a casual golf fan? Uh, I mean, yeah, just seeing all the, obviously I didn't watch, you know, yesterday because I'm not staying up uh, that late. To, to <laughs> You're watch, not a golf but, nerd. You're yeah. a casual fan. Yeah. I'll, I'll do that for other stuff like formula one and stuff like that. But no, I, I mean, look, the, the products and stuff like that from every, all the clips that I saw, you know, coming out from last night. I mean, I, I love it. Right. It's the, the excitement. Do you and stuff like, like the, that. you know, the excite, like the, the hole in one with Burt Kreischer taking his shirt off and stuff like that, that you like that though. Yeah. I mean, I think that that just adds, you know, so much more to stuff like that. Now I necessarily, I wouldn't, you know, like that at maybe like some of the you don't need that at the masters exactly right? yeah. yeah i wouldn't like that there but i mean for stuff like this you know i love stuff like that and i was talking to my roommate last night about you know maybe trying to get up to tulsa and watch you know a little bit of the event up there no doubt about it no doubt about it i was just curious because you know taylor and i do a golf show every single week and so we're, we're big time golf nerds and it's interesting to hear whether you know the casual fan who is they're trying to pander to is actually liking it like do you think that it's actually working 
Uh, I mean, I would have to sit down and, you know, you know, watch some more of it and stuff like that. But I mean, just looking at it on social media and stuff like that, it gets the people going. That's a great point. Uh, T-Dub, speaking of the PGA Tour, we do have a PGA Tour event this week and we do have a team event. The only team event on the PGA Tour, the Zurich Classic at TPC, Louisiana. Speaking of, you know, we got the Big 12 Championship coming up. Tomorrow at Prairie Dunes, we had an OSU player win on live. We have an OSU player in the lead and a Texas player in the lead at the Zurich Classic. Wyndham Clark and Bo Hostler are in the lead playing together at 26 under. Matthew Neesmith, um, excuse me, Keith Mitchell and Sungjae M are in second at 25 under. Vincent Norman and Matthias Schwab are 23 under, tied for third with Matthew Neesmith and Taylor Moore uh, of Oklahoma and Arkansas. Uh, and then you got Nick Hardy and Davis Riley, another guy that I grew up playing golf with. Davis Riley, who played his college golf at Alabama. Uh, T-Dub, what are your thoughts so far at the Zurich Classic this week? This is one of the more fun events and probably a little bit better field than we'll see at a non-elevated PGA Tour event because these guys love the uh, team concept, right? Yeah, I think it'll definitely be a better field than we see next week at the Mexico Open for sure. And, and yes, you look at who's up there. you got Wyndham Clark, Bo Hostler, who have been playing exceptionally well. Wyndham Clark is actually one of the, I believe he was like the eighth analytically guy going into this tournament. He was ahead of guys like even Matty Fitz, Sam Burns, Sahithi Gala, and right ahead of our, our man Taylor Moore, who's only sitting there with Matthew Neesmith at about three shots back, and so I think there's going to be a decent amount of volatility this afternoon, Sam. Um, and for anyone who looks at the scores and doesn't understand the format, the, the first and the third rounds are best ball formats, so every player plays the hole and you take the best score. Second and fourth rounds are alternate shots, and so, you know, you're not able to, to mess with your team order either. You know, one guy has to hit on the odd holes, the other guy has to hit on the even holes. So I do expect there to be a little bit more volatility this round. I was actually surprised with how low – the alternate shot scores were in the uh, in the second round. You had guys like uh, the Shawfly Cantley duo. She went out and shot nine under. I mean, that's just absolutely unbelievable alternate shot. You do not see that very often at all. But and yesterday, you look at the guys up there leading 62, 62, 62, 63, 63, 62, 63. I mean, it just seemed like that that was kind of the mainstay. You had guys like who were in the final group. You had Doc Redman and uh, Sam Ryder, who only shot I believe like two under yesterday or something, which is absolutely horrible in, in best ball. So that was a little bit maybe more room to where you could fall off and uh, maybe other guys where everyone was just going to jump you in that aspect. But I think today, Sam, is going to be more so if Clark and Hostler go out and play solid golf or even Mitchell and him, it's going to be hard for guys behind them to catch them. But I think with that, with the format, it's going to be hard for those two teams to go out and just really exceptionally go out and create such a big lead comparatively to what the other format is. So uh, I do expect there to be a little bit more volatility and maybe a team down there, maybe the Fitzpatricks, Matt and Alex Fitzpatrick, they're only – five shots back. I think they have a chance. Can't land Shoffley. If they shoot what they did in uh, in the second round, they're definitely move up. My one and done pick. I think you're one and done pick too, Sam. Billy Horschel with Sam Burns. They're sitting there at six back. So I don't think those guys are out of it at all, Sam. But if Clark and Hostler or Mitchell and him, if they go out and play solid golf like they should, maybe shoot a 67 like they did, uh, both of them did in the second round alternate shot format, it's going to be hard to get up there and catch those guys because that would mean the guy down at 21, 20 under would have to shoot eight or nine under a day, and that's a tough ask in this format. You mentioned some low scores in the alternate shot format in the second round. Now, there was 
one team that didn't shoot very low in the second round. That was John Daly and David Duvall, who shot an 83 alternate shot uh, score in the second round, T-Dub. That was was some pretty interesting golf. But back to the actual tournament here up at the top of the leaderboard, it's going to be interesting. And like you said, it can be volatile because... Like we've seen in the past, remember when Louis Eustazen, uh hit it in the water on 18 and just left Charles Schwartzel hanging, right? You, you know, you have no control over literally half the shots. That's what makes alternate shot much harder than just playing your own ball. And, and it's going to be interesting to see who can, uh, you know, kind of ham and egg it, right? And you got guys like you got interesting teams like Keith Mitchell, who's from Georgia, and you got Sung J.M. from South Korea who have teamed up together. But I, ironically, they're nothing alike as a person. But as far as golfers, they're nothing alike either, which I think sets up interesting. It sets up good for best ball, but it sets up interesting for alternate shot because Keith Mitchell is kind of a bomber and, you know, Sung Jay might not be used to hitting some, uh, you know, on par fours, hitting wedge shots into these par fours and, and leaving yourself 50 to 75 yards on some holes where, where uh, Keith Mitchell might be more used to that. You have the, the issue of the ball. You know, some guys uh, use different balls than their partners. And uh, I think that alternate shot is the hardest format in all of golf, T-Dub. And, and that's why you could see some big swings on the leaderboard. Some team is going to get hot but we just don't know which one right now. Uh, Wyndham Clark and Bo Hostler do have a one shot lead at 26 under, but I wouldn't even count out guys at, at even 20 under T dub. Like you said, with uh, Billy Horschel and Sam Burns, Robert Streb of Oklahoma and, and Troy Merritt down there, Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley at 20 un- under the defending champions. If they start making some birdies and those teams at the top, start putting their teammates in some interesting positions like we saw with Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods when they did alternate shot in the Ryder Cup, things could get a little interesting in in Louisiana today. 100% it could. I mean, just to put it in perspective, right, in baseball format, it is really, really hard to make a bogey. You have to extremely mess up to do that. But in alternate shot format, all you need is the drive to to roll into the water. You need a guy to miss a four foot putt. You need a guy to in this grainy Bermuda grass around the greens to flub a chip. I've seen that countless times this week. So the bogeys are going to be a lot lot easier to make than they were in the uh, in the first and third round for sure. And then you have the aspect of the, the par fives at this course, Sam, are all very gettable. So you could have alternate shot format guys making eagles on that hole, but then you have a guy who maybe doesn't hit his tee shot very well, and all of a sudden they're fighting for par. So. So, yes, that's why I think there'll be a lot more volatility today, just because it's a lot easier for guys to go backwards today than there are for uh, for guys to even move uh, exceptionally forward because everyone's making birdies in the in the best ball form. But the alternate shot format, there's so many variables in just one loose shot because there's a decent amount of water in this course. So, I mean, if you find any of that water, it's going to lead to a couple bogeys. But the guys at the lead, if, they're, if they don't make those mistakes, it's going to be really hard for the guys behind them to make to rattle off four or five birdies in a row to make a little bit of a run. There's no doubt about that. We can dive a little bit more into that, give our picks for today for the Zurich Classic after the break. Uh, And then after the break, we also, I just got an interesting text from the legend, Maury Rose, the head of the Oklahoma Junior Golf Tour for many years, just retired. He's going into the Oklahoma Golf Hall of Fame this year. Uh, I got Hall of Famers texting me, T-Dub, but he said it's interesting that this week you could have OJGT kids win on live, the PGA Tour, and the Corn Ferry Tour. And we'll dive into who 
is on the leaderboard at the Corn Ferry event uh, here after the break. And then we'll dive into some college golf. Stay with us here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show live on the Sports Animal, Oklahoma's leader in golf. Hello, golfers. The golfers here. Now live on WWLS, the Sports Animal. This is the 73rd Hole with Sam Humphreys. I'm Tiger Woods. I'm Tiger Woods. Sam. Oklahoma's premier golf show, giving you insider access and interviews to golf in the state of Oklahoma and on the PGA Tour. Good shot. It's the 73rd hole. I love (laughs) y'all. On 98.1 FM, WWLS, the sports animal. And we are back for one more hour here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show, live on the Sports Animal. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. And T-Dub, before the break, I mentioned that we could have a trifecta of Oklahoma Junior Golf Tour players win this week in professional golf. Obviously, Taylor Gooch, we spent a lot of time on one at Live Golf Adelaide. And if you missed any of that, it will be on tape delay uh, on the CW Network at noon today. You can catch up on everything that you missed if you didn't watch it live last night. And then uh, T-Dub, obviously, Taylor Moore playing with Matthew Neesmith, the uh, Zurich Classic. And then, T-Dub, we have the Lecom Suncoast Classic on the Corn Ferry Tour where you have many Oklahoma ties. You have Kevin Doherty in the lead, Slug, who went to Oklahoma State, played his college golf at Oklahoma State, you know, from California. But then you have an interesting pairing. And obviously, uh, you know, at the top of the leaderboard, you have Kevin Doherty and then you have... Uh, Scott Gostuski, I was struggling with that word, T-Dub, with that name, but he's at 18 under. Chase Seifert is at 18 under. Ben Silverman's at 17 under, along with Tommy Two Gloves Ganey. Um, then you have uh, Chase Phillips. Uh, and then you have Logan McAllister, T-Dub, and Chris Goderup paired together in the final round of a Corn Ferry event uh, coming up. This afternoon, I think that that would be really interesting if you had Logan McAllister end up winning on the Corn Ferry Tour, and it's good to see Logan playing some solid golf again. Uh, obviously, was a star at Oklahoma along with his roommate, Chris Goderup. They're going to be paired together, like I said today, but Logan McAllister, 16 under for the golf tournament, only three shots back of Kevin Doherty, and Logan has missed five cuts in a row, T-Dub, but it looks to me that he's figured something out. Now, Chris Goderup, on the other hand, has played some uh, a little bit more consistent golf uh, ever since getting onto the Corn Ferry Tour. He's finished, you know, tied for 18th, tied for 14th, has a tie for 28th in there, um, has made most of his cuts, um, but T-Dub, it's good to see Logan McAllister, who was a star at Oklahoma, and you'll remember him if you're an OU fan or just a fan of college golf. He made the two hole-in-ones at the national championship, but it's good to see Logan uh, playing some solid golf and putting himself in contention in a Corn Ferry event. It just takes one hot week, right, T-Dub? Oh, there's zero doubt about that. Yes, and it's great that local guys as well, but both of them friends of the show as well, Sam. I mean, you and you and Colby went down and did a great interview with them down the Coast Center along with uh, Patrick Welch, so that was absolutely great listen there. And then also another friend of the show, Rian Gibson, uh, actually birdied his first hole earlier, so he's up to 14 under. He's a T-13 on the round. So, yeah, I mean, there's just Oklahoma guys left and right up there, Sam. It is really great to see. And uh, even someone who's not a local guy, Tommy Tuchel's Ganey, everyone remembers him from the big break. And uh, also he was also famous for some more off-the-course stuff. But nevertheless, it's decent to see him play 
to get up there. And uh, his unique swing is uh, definitely something that most people look at and say, man, how in the world is that guy on the PGA Tour or, or on the Corn Ferry Tour in this instance? But just an absolutely stellar player. But, yeah, no, I really hope that uh, that Logan or uh, Goddard up or even Rean at this point can go up and make a room uh, to make a move at these guys. Really only three and four back, respectively. I think that uh, I think that they can go up and make a good move. Um, look at the way this course has played the last three rounds. It's, all, it's played about average about two shots under par. The second round it played about two and a half under par. And you look at it today, Sam, with the forecast, the wind's going to die down. It's blowing at about 10 to 11 miles an hour right now, which isn't very much this tournament. Is down in Florida, but this afternoon looks like it's going to die down to about seven or six miles an hour. So I think that does well for these guys who are trying to chase because they can go out and make a lot of birdies and maybe make a move. And another OSU guy, Kevin Doherty, who is leading currently by one shot, but uh, definitely a lot of golf to be played, and I expect there to be an abundance amount of birdies made this afternoon. No doubt about it. And the Corn Ferry Tour is fun to watch to me because these guys deal with so much stress, T-Dub. And I was ta- I had dinner with uh, Tyson Reeder, who played his high school golf with me at Edmond North and then went on to play at Arkansas. Um, and I had dinner with him a couple nights ago, and we were just talking about how it's hard to not only make it to the Corn Ferry Tour, going through all Mondays and the APT events and everything these guys have to do to get through the mini tours. And then once they're on the Corn Ferry Tour, it just takes one hot week. And it's interesting that a guy like Logan, who has kind of not struggled, it's just tough to get out there on the Corn Ferry Tour when a lot of these guys have played these courses every single year the last few years. And you're trying to learn the courses and, uh, you know, kind of try to vault yourself up into into contention in these tournaments and it's just different than college and it's a job now uh it's just a lot different and so it's always good to see these guys have those hot weeks gain some confidence because if you do end up winning t-dub you're almost essentially securing a car now it's unbelievable how much stress these guys deal with on a daily basis isn't it oh it truly is it's just an absolute grind that these guys have and i mean some people are different than others, right? Some people can afford to have, you know, family members travel with them. A lot of these guys go out, and they're just doing this by themselves. So, I mean, could you imagine missing five cuts in a row if it's just you and yourself traveling, you know, just picking up a caddy every other week? I mean, that's a lonely existence. That's what a lot of these guys deal with. I mean, it's uh, even more so just the physical grind of it, the mental grind, especially you don't have all the things going right. And even, even onto your point, Sam, about it, it just takes one good week. Also, too, it's just you have to play right at the right time, right? I guarantee you all these guys in this field, they would say, well, if they could peak this season, they would want to peak towards July and August, right? Because that's when all the uh, the season's ending, and that's when they can make a really good point point push. But you're 100% right. If they could just get one win, it doesn't necessarily secure their card for next year, but they have to play really, really poorly if they get a win and then aren't able to make their card after that. So, no, it definitely takes a lot of weight off. Even some of the – like uh, like our friend Ryan Gibson, who won earlier this year on the Corn Ferry Tour, I think that's what allowed him to play a little bit better this year. Is just knowing that he has that win, kind of gave him a little bit more cushion to just uh, you know not be so stress intense all the time, right? Because it is definitely a grind for sure, and uh, it's good to see when good people are able to go through that. And I think that's what the majority of these Oklahoma guys are. Not only are they great players, but they're all exceptionally nice people, and they all deserve the great fortunes that are coming to them for sure. No doubt about it. And let's transition back to the Zurich Classic this afternoon. The leaders are going off at 12.35 p.m. Uh, our time, Taylor Moore and Matthew Neesmith, who are in tied for third place right now, go off uh, at 12.34. So 
definitely be watching that this afternoon. You could have some interesting golf uh, going on. T-Dub, so basically my question to you is who do you like in this alternate shot format this afternoon? Is it more of, you know, throwing a dart at a dartboard than even a normal tour event is? Or, or do you think that you have a strategy to, to picking these? I definitely think it's more more of a dart throw, Sam. I mean, it's hard enough as a dart throw whenever you're just trying to get one player to go over some. But now you have a team competition with alternate shot because literally you could have one shot go out of bounds and it changes the entire course of the tournament. I would love to see our man Taylor Moore and Matthew Neesmith go up there and get the win. But you look at Ed Neesmith now, he's been playing. We've obviously documented how well Taylor Moore's been playing. Uh, Neesmith's only made three cuts since the start uh, of 2023. And his highest finish is a 39th at the Arnold Palmer. And besides that, his next best finish is a 55th. So really not playing very good golf. And you expect that on a Sunday afternoon when the pressure gets up in an alternate shot format that he may not be able to hold up. Maybe Taylor Moore can go out and kind of carry him a little bit from what I think because it seems like Team Moore has been doing a little bit of that this week as well. But they do have good success on this course. Finished fourth here last year, the team did. But no, if I had to pick a team up at the top, I'd go with the Keith Mitchell, Sung J.M. I think that the combined two of them, with the exception of uh, Shoffley and Cantley down at 20 under, I think they're the best team um, from top to bottom. Uh, Mitchell's going to be able to bomb it on a lot of holes with giving Sung Jason kind of flip wedges, which he, as you kind of mentioned earlier, he's used to hitting seven or eight irons. But if you put a wedge in his hand, all of a sudden him in at 15 feet, he's in at 10 feet now. And if Mitchell's able to make those putts, should be good. Both of them really put the ball in play a lot. Keith Mitchell's the number one total driver on the PJ Tour. Sung Jay, not the longest guy on tour, but generally hits every single fairway. So I don't expect them to get out of position very often, which is something you essentially need in the alternate shot. So while I'm rooting for team more than the Smith team, Sam, I'm looking at the Mitchell M group as definitely the favorite, even though they are one shot back to Clark and Austin. Another team tied for third with Taylor Moore and Matthew Neesmith is Nick Hardy and Davis Riley. And Davis Riley had a great start to his PGA Tour career, T-Dub. Last year, he got a little bit overshadowed with uh, Sahith Digala and Cam Young, but he was probably for the first half of the year in the lead for rookie of the year on the PGA tour, talking about Davis Riley. Um, and he's paired up with Nick Hardy today and they're 23 under and Davis has kind of had a sophomore slump struggled a little bit recently, but he has one of the prettiest swings on the PGA tour. I think that a team event like this where you're having a little bit more fun, maybe not quite as, you know, uh, grinding throughout the day, right? Not quite as stressed out throughout the day as a normal PGA Tour event when you're struggling, you know, missing some cuts. I think that a tournament like this could be good for a guy with a, a young guy with a lot of talent like a Davis Riley today, T-Dub. I, I, turn, I didn't to agree with you there. Sam, and you look at both these players, Hardy and Riley, if you had gone back to January or February, you would have said, this team had absolutely no chance to play good. They both missed, I think, four or five cuts in a row from January to February, so definitely did not have their best stuff. But Nick Hardy, in his last four tournaments, is, is actually gaining a decent amount of strokes approach, so he's got something figured out with a swing. And then Davis Riley finished eighth at the Arnold Palmer, finished 19th at the Valspar, so had a little bit of good form there. I did miss the cut at RBC Heritage and had to withdraw from the Valero Texas Open, but nevertheless, seems like both of them are kind of getting something figured out with their swing. And you're absolutely right. I think both of them, even Nick Hardy, is only – 27 years old, Davis Riley is only 26. Both of them still have long and uh, very generous uh, careers coming for the rest of their PGA Tour career. But will they get it done at this afternoon? I think it's going to take some good fortune and obviously good play is going to take to be done. So would it shock me if they won? Absolutely not, but they are definitely not on, on my list of uh, even inside my top three or four of guys that, of teams I think could win this afternoon. 
Another interesting team is the guy that won last week paired up with a guy who doesn't even have a PGA Tour card. That is Matthew Fitzpatrick and Alex Fitzpatrick. Now, I said this at the start of the week on the podcast, T-Dub. I said, watch out for this team because obviously Matty Fitz is playing great golf and Alex Fitzpatrick is no slouch himself. Obviously had a solid college career. It's just like we just talked about with the Corn Ferry guys. It's just hard to get onto the PGA Tour. Um, and they're 21 under, uh, you know, in seventh place. I don't necessarily count those guys out and don't count them out just because he's playing with his brother, right, T-Dub? He has some game. Oh, 100% he had some game. Yeah, played at uh, Wake Forest, I believe, and was a, a standout there. Been, he has been playing most of his golf on European Tour or actually the Challenge Tour, which is the Corn Ferry version of the year, the DP World Tour now for people who aren't aware. He finished ninth in his last Challenge Tour tournament. So, yeah, I've been playing a little bit good. I think the main thing that really distracted it, Sam was the fact that Matty Smith just won last week. So you think, well, he just won, coming, just won $3.6 million, coming to a team event with his brother. It's not going to be a whole lot of pressure. There's going to be a lot of focus there. And that was the thing that I was necessarily worried about. But it looks like that, that it has been there uh, at least the start of this week as well. Shot 62 both times in the in the best ball format. Did shoot 71 in the alternate shot on Friday, so that's not exceptionally well. They missed a, a decent amount of putts. Both Alex and Matt missed a lot of putts during that stretch. So if they can maybe hit it just a, even just a little bit better. Didn't, didn't hit a lot of horrible shots during that contest, but hit a few shots a little bit closer and then get a few more putts to fall, I think they would have a chance. But, uh, but generally, Sam, the alternate shot, your winkest leak is going to get exposed. And even though Alex Fitzpatrick is an absolutely stellar player, I just think even some of these guys that we had been talking about are a little bit better than him, and I think that weakness will show for the Fitzpatrick team this afternoon. So it sounds like you're going with Sung J.M. and Keith Mitchell, right, T-Dub? That, that's the team I like, yeah. I, I, I do I do see a world when I would not be shocked at all if Clark and Hosser go out and play exceptionally well. Wyndham Clark's been playing really, really good golf. As everyone knows how far he hits it. But his, him, his, his iron's exceptionally well, too. And Bo Hosser, just an absolute grinder and a very, very streaky player he is, but seems like he's got it figured out this week. So while I'm definitely favoring Mitchell and M for sure, wouldn't shock me at all if that Hostler and Clark group came out and did it. If, if there is anyone that I would like to see make a little bit of a push, we mentioned Taylor Moore and them, uh, Neesmith a second ago. But my one, our one and done pick, Sam, Sam Burns and Billy Horshaw, I mean, they shot 69 in the, in the alternate shot format on Friday, 64-63 in the best ball. So if they can just get it a little bit going, seems like they just had a couple of holes here or there where they could have made birdies and didn't do it. So if they can just get that around, maybe not even win, just get us in the top two or three, that will really help our one-and-done chances for sure. No doubt about it. And they should be a good alternate shot team, right, T-Dub? Because they have Sam Burns, who's the best putter, in my opinion, on the PGA Tour, uh, and then Billy Horschel, who doesn't miss many fairways. So they could make a little push and play a little better in the alternate shot format today uh, than they did uh, in the second round. But I'm going to go with Taylor Moore and Matthew Neesmith. I think that Taylor Moore, speaking of putting, has figured some things out with the short game, putting a little more weight on his left side has really worked recently. Uh, and Matthew Neesmith, obviously out of Stanford, uh, you know, played some really solid golf when he first got onto the PGA Tour, struggled a little bit, but two really talented young guys. I'm going to go with Taylor Moore and Matthew Neesmith, and that's with my heart because I want to see the OJGT guys win on both the PGA Tour and live this week. I think that that would be really cool. And speaking of Oklahoma guys, we're going to be talking about the Sooners and the Cowboys and their chances this week at Prairie Dunes, the Big 12 Championship coming up tomorrow at Prairie Dunes. We'll dive into that here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show on the Sports Animal, the Oklahoma's leader in golf with Taylor Moore and Preston Poole and Sam Humphreys with you until noon. 
are back here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. And T-Dub, it's an interesting day because we really popped off on the 73rd Hole and really started getting our fan base together when we went up to Prairie Dunes for the Big 12 Championship and gave everybody the live coverage a couple years back. Some people who were with us from the beginning might remember that. So I love when the Big 12 Golf Championship is at Prairie Dunes, T-Dub. And let's dive into this because it's going to be an interesting tournament. Oklahoma has played some really solid golf as of late. Um, You know, got a win in, uh, in San Francisco a couple weeks ago, finished second in Purdue's event last week, and they're ranked 11th in the country right now. Texas Tech is ranked fifth in the country right now. They have had an extremely solid year. Love big Aberg leading the red Raiders, but T-Dub the interesting teams that I feel like could make a push at the big 12 championship are Texas. Texas obviously got Brian Stark in the middle of the year from Oklahoma state. Brian Stark was a starter for the Cowboys hit the transfer portal uh, around Christmas time. And now he's playing uh, for the University of Texas and Texas went from ranked, you know, 25th to, you know, 30th in the country. And then now they're ranked 14th in the country and have had a really solid spring season. Oklahoma state also, uh, for instance, got off to a slow start, uh, interestingly enough. Um, and they've kind of, you know, caught a little bit of a heater recently uh, without Brian Stark. And and obviously last week they, they got the win, but uh, Rasmus Neergaard Peterson didn't have his best event, but Bo Jin and, and Jonas Baumgartner ended up winning the golf tournament. Bo Jin had a solid tournament as well for the Cowboys. Um, they're ranked 20th in the country right now. Kansas State is ranked 24th in the country right now. What are your thoughts on who might, you know, have a solid week at Prairie Dunes and what team do you think that Prairie Dunes really sets up best for? I think a lot of it's kind of weather dependent up there. Uh, you know, when the wind gets up at Prairie Dunes, anyone can win that golf tournament. I think a lot of it, it does have to do with the weather, Sam, as you just mentioned. I mean, we look at the weather just here over in Oklahoma the next three to four days. It's going to be rainy and cold, so I expect it to be very similar up there at Prairie. There are supposed to play 36 holes tomorrow as well. It uh, looks like just off the, the pairings here, Texas Tech and OU will be the first uh, tee time off off of the uh, number one tee, OSU will be going off at 845. Uh, they're playing with Texas tomorrow, so that'll be very interesting to see. Now, you kind of mentioned some of the rankings earlier, Sam. I think that it really is uh, really a six-team race, and I think those are really the only teams that can win. Uh, Kansas State, as you mentioned, 24th. Uh, Baylor's down in 29th as well, Mike McGraw's team, so hopefully they can make a little bit of a push as well. But the bottom four teams, you have TCU is 46, Kansas 54th, Iowa State's 90th, and West Virginia's 120th. So I think it would be a pretty big shock if any of those four teams were able to come out and do well. But I remember when we were up there, Sam, OSU uh, ended up winning. It was a, it was essentially a, a massive three-horse race between Texas, OU, and OSU. Any of those teams could have won uh, that particular time when we were up there, and OSU just got to prevail. So maybe some of those guys, I remember Bo Jen was on that team, so maybe they have a little bit of momentum just knowing that they had won uh, there before. Uh, your pick, Sam, who really, you've been on all year, really, is Texas Tech. And uh, while they have, they have they have kind of slipped a little bit over a couple of times, love it. Aberg didn't play a couple of tournaments because he's playing on the PGA Tour, so that had a little bit to do with that. I expect them to have a pretty good good season. But but OU as well looked like that they're playing some good golf 
right at the right times, which is something that we've been extremely high on. So, uh, I don't know, Sam. I think this even more so than even when we went up there. I think it's a pretty wide-open race between uh, – well, I think there's four teams that really have the best shot to do it. I'll throw Kansas State and Baylor in there as a chance to win, so I think it's a three-team race at this point. Or a six-team race, my apologies. Yeah, and so to me, I think that Texas. this is Texas Tech's golf tournament to lose. I know that OU has played some solid golf recently and gotten their lineups figured out where they're not – you know, playing indivi- playing guys that are playing individually for the golf tournament and end up beating the guys in the starting lineup. That hasn't been happening the last three weeks or so for the Sooners. Um, but Texas Tech has been solid all year. Ludwig Aberg is second in college golf right now behind Gordon Sargent, and everyone knows how good Gordon Sargent is. His worst finish in his last 18 events is seventh place. Uh, Ludwig Aberg is right up there and was the number one ranked amateur for a while playing for Texas Tech. Um, Texas Tech also has Tyron Snyders, uh, the junior, and, and he has played some solid golf. You know, his scoring average is 71.31, which is really consistent for Texas Tech. But Callum Scott, he got two wins earlier on this year for Texas Tech. Hasn't had as good of a spring, um, but man, he is a solid sophomore for Texas Tech as well. Those are three names for Tech that I feel like could go on to win this tournament at Prairie Dunes. We saw uh, Ludwig Aberg two years ago playing with Quade Cummins uh, in one of those final groups at the Big 12 Championship at this tournament, and that's when we saw him for the first time, T-Dub, and we were like, who is this guy? And he had more talent than everybody out there, it seemed like, and had the best swing, was bombing it by everybody. Um, you know, Prairie Dunes, I'm not sure, sets up amazing for a bomber. And it, uh, like I said, a lot of it has to do with what the wind is like out there. Um, but to me, I feel like this is Texas Tech's golf tournament to lose, and it's and it's Ludwig Aberg's golf tournament to lose. T-Dub, do you agree or disagree with me? I definitely agree with it's Aberg's tournament to win. You look at the individual rankings, at least on the golf week system, and Lovett Aberg is third, according to them. You have to scroll all the way down. The next Big 12 player is Christian Mass for Texas at 14th. And and then scrolling through there, unless I'm missing someone, the next highest is uh, Rymus Negar Pearson at 26. So, I mean, generally we're used to this tournament, Sam, having some elite individual players. And uh, it's really not not that case, with the exception, and even going after uh, Peterson at 26, I have to scroll all the way down to Jay Summy at 36. So, I mean, there's only three players in the top 35 of the rankings that are playing in this tournament. Generally, we're used to seeing like seven or eight of that, at least what what it usually seems like. So, uh, a little bit different feel than what we're used to, Sam. So, yes, I do think that it is Aberg's tournament to win just because I think that individually wise, he is head, maybe not necessarily head and shoulders above everyone else, but he's pretty darn close because there's just not that congestion of really, really elite top heavy players that we've seen in the Big 12 over the last at least four or five years. No, you're right. And and like you just said, Ludwig has kind of separated himself from everybody else in the Big 12, but there is a bunch of guys. And by the way, there's two ranking systems in college golf. You can either use Golf Week or Golf Stat. I'm looking at Golf Stat. T-Dub's looking at Golf Week. They're basically the same thing. Um, but yeah, like you said, Christian Mass from Texas, the freshman, he has had a really solid spring season. Uh, his scoring average is right around 70 T dub. Uh, you go down the list here. If you, if you want to talk about Texas, Brian Stark, uh, is ranked 53rd in the country, which is good, but not necessarily as good as he played last year at Oklahoma state. His scoring average is over 71. Uh, he could throw a low one in there and vault Texas up the leaderboard. 
um, Oklahoma has some guys like like you said, Jay Summy, the freshman. He just won uh, last week at the at the Boilermaker Invitational, and then um, you know they obviously have Vinny, the cross handed bandit, who has the experience out there. Uh, Patrick Welch, and then um, you know I feel like Oklahoma is the most consistent team, but at the same time. You know, Texas Tech has those three big guys with Aberg and, and Callum Scott uh, and, and Snyders that I feel like if they get any solid play from their four or five bag, the, the rest of the field is in trouble. But you could definitely see an Oklahoma or an Oklahoma State throw a low one in there, and then they're right in the middle of contention. And I think for Oklahoma State, Bo Jin is the key for them because he's very inconsistent sometimes. You know, like like we saw last week, he shot, I think, 78-65 in his last two rounds, and Oklahoma State ends up winning the golf tournament. But I just feel like, T-Dub, that when I'm picking college golf especially, I want the most consistent team to me. That's Texas Tech and Oklahoma. And then it kind of, there's a little bit of a drop-off, and the reason why I don't put Oklahoma State or Texas in there is because Brian Stark hasn't been playing quite as good as he did uh, when he was at Oklahoma State. And for Oklahoma State, uh, Rasmus Niergaard-Peterson shot 83 in his last round. Even though they won the golf tournament, their best player's score wasn't counting. Now, they did have Jonas Baumgartner win the golf tournament, but Rasmus Niergaard-Peterson, and he has dealt with injuries. Hopefully, he's not dealing with in- injuries like last week. Um, you know, he, he dealt with those in the in the fall. Um but somehow he shot 83 last week, and I don't like that headed into Prairie Dunes for Oklahoma State, T-Dub. Well, and the thing you have to remember, too, is just the golf course they're playing, right? Prairie Dunes, it's not not exceptionally long golf course. It's very traditional, so you can make a lot of birdies out there. But you can also, just with the, the native grass and all that stuff out there, you can make a double on literally any hole out there. So, And especially if the weather gets up to be uh, you know, pretty strenuous, which it looks like it's going to with a little bit of uh, wind and, and particularly rain more or less in there. I think that it's going to make even the bottom of your lineup even more important because, as you mentioned earlier, with someone like Texas Tech, if they have two guys that go out and, and just completely fall apart and shoot mid-70s or something like that, it's going to be really hard for the, someone like Lovett Aberg. He's going to go out and shoot 65 to be able to, to back that up and maybe even lower than that. So, yeah, I think that the, that the weather and just the course they're playing too, Sam, I think really elevates the bottom of your lineup even more so. But one thing that is promising, Sam, just going through here looking at the tee times and stuff, it does say – on the Big 12 website, the championship round will air on Big 12 now on ESPN+. Plus. So a little different than a couple of years ago when we went up there. It does look like, at least for the final round, if you do have ESPN+, Plus, you will get to watch some great golf. That is beautiful stuff. No one's out there like like we were, T-Dub, with the cell phones just videoing some shots uh, a couple of years ago. That shows how much the technology has changed and how much the interest level in the game of golf has changed, especially on the college level. Another guy for Oklahoma to look out for this week is Ben Lorenz, the sophomore. Uh, he got a win a couple weeks ago in San Francisco. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, played in the fall as an individual uh, and has kind of been inconsistent, but has really been more consistent this spring season and has shown flashes of really elite golf. If Oklahoma wants to win, they're going to have to get some big time golf from Ben Lorenz and Jay Summy, the young guys on that lineup. 100% agree, yeah. It goes back to kind of what we were talking about just a second ago with the, the bottom of the lineup with these conditions and this golf course you're going to play 
extremely pivotal. So, yes, I do think that. And also, too, you mentioned the young guys. Just uh, the, the best player currently for, for Texas is a freshman and the best player for uh, for OU, at least so far, is Jay Summy, who's been a freshman. Patrick Wilson is just a little bit behind him, so not only about four or five spots in the rankings. But still, though, the, uh, the, 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 see if the, the lack of experience in any, if any endeavor will come back and haunt these teams. It very well could. It has definitely in the past in certain situations. But I think anymore nowadays the kids are just so rock solid and their, their swings and everything or just so technically sound, I don't think it's near as big a deal as it was a couple of years ago. But, yeah, I think you're exactly right. And, and the more that we keep talking, diagnosing the same, I am looking even more so towards the Texas Tech, as you were mentioning, just because of the top guys that they have. But, uh, but OU, just with the form that they have been playing, if you would have had this exact same question a month and a half ago, I would have been a lot more down on, on OU and even OSU for that matter. But the fact that both those teams have been playing at least a lot better going into the postseason play gives me some optimism that, that both of those teams – could definitely make a run at this thing. And that's the other thing is at Prairie Dunes, someone in your five-man lineup is going to shoot a million one day, right? And so you want those guys that can shoot, you know, the four and five and six under pars. And Ludwig Aberg uh, can do that. And a couple other guys on that Texas Tech lineup can do that. That's why I'm picking Texas Tech this week, but I would not be surprised if Oklahoma jumped up there and took the Big 12 championship away from them. Um, T-Dub, real quick, Talking about the national championship and regionals coming up, Vanderbilt is still the number one team in the country with Gordon Sargent. He continues to play unbelievable golf. Um, North Carolina ranks second. Illinois, uh, they broke a record. They shot like 57 under par, 67 under par a couple weeks ago in one of their events. They're ranked third in the country. Arizona State has finished top five in dang near every single tournament that they've played in. Really consistent golf. And then Texas Tech, rounds out your top five um, of the other teams, T-Dub, Florida State, Pepperdine, uh, Auburn, Florida, Stanford, and then Oklahoma right there at 11th. I think Oklahoma has the sneakiest chance to jump up into match play out of any of those teams. Number one, they have Ryan Hibble, who's the best coach in college golf, and they have the experience with uh, with Patrick Welch, but they also have the young guys like Jay Summy and Ben Lorenz playing some solid golf and peaking at the right time, T-Dub. Uh, so look out for them. Do any of those other schools that I mentioned really pique your interest as we lead into regionals and the national championship? Well, one team that, that just kind of scrolling through here on the individual ranks that's sticking out is Florida State. They have the, the ninth, the 13th, and the 18th ranked player uh, currently this year. Uh, the ninth is Cole Anderson. Then they have a Fed. Frederick uh, Kittrup, I believe is how you pronounce it. He's probably, uh, uh, that's a foreign name there. And then Brett Roberts is the 18th player. So, I mean, they've got a, a very solid, and then they have a, the 33rd guy in the country is the, is the fourth best player on the team. So, I think Florida State is a team that's kind of somewhat a team that we hadn't really talked about, Sam, but they definitely have the players uh, to make a little bit of a move. Obviously, we've highlighted North Carolina so much this year. They have uh, David Ford, who's number four, and Austin Greaser, who's number 12. And then uh, and Minetti Burnett, hasn't played very good for them, you know, in, in the spring. I thought that him transferring from Pepperdine to North Carolina, he might have been the, the consistency that North Carolina needed along with Greaser and Ford, but he hadn't really been that. Yeah, Minetti's down, down at 48th on these golf league rankings, which is something that you did not expect to see um, happen at all. So, no, I, I think Florida State is definitely a team who could – who kind of come out of even Vanderbilt. They have, uh, we mentioned Gordon Sargent, but they have the 20th, the 29th, and the 31st, and the 45th player. So there's all five of their players are inside of the top 45 in the rankings. So uh, Vanderbilt definitely, even though we look at Gordon Sargent saying how good he is, the rest of that Vanderbilt team is pretty solid. 
And then T-Dub, quickly, we got to hit a break, but I do want to ask you about Prairie Dunes. If you're a college golf coach and you're kind of telling your team, what's the strategy, you know, going around Prairie Dunes, uh, you know, when you have something as big as a Big 12 championship on the line, it's one of those courses where you got to be careful and look out. There's, you know, snakes in the grass everywhere, right? Oh, yeah, it's literally not even metaphorically. Literally, yeah. Literally snakes in the grass. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, yes, you watch out for the snakes. The, the best way to avoid the snake, Sam, is just hit the ball in the fairway. That, that's the easiest way. But uh, there's so, so many holes out there, Sam, where you don't necessarily need driver. You can hit driver if you want to, but it gets narrow up there. And uh, the par threes of this course are really, really tricky because the green complexes on really every hole are extremely severe, but uh, in particular the par threes are really important. So I think putting it middle of the green on the par threes, and then there's a, there's decent, as long as you can put the ball in play, there's going to be birdie holes out there to be had. So just be patient, especially if the weather gets bad. Just know that you're going to make a bogey here or there. You're going to hit two great shots in the middle of the green. You might three-putt just because of the green complexes. So just be uh, be patient throughout the round and just let the birdies come to you because as long as you hit decent shots, putting it in the fairway and not the tall grass, the birdies will come sooner uh, sooner and maybe rather than later, but they'll come at some point. The Big 12 Championship coming up tomorrow at Prairie Dunes. You can follow along on golfstat.com. And also, T-Dub, tell the people one more time where they can watch the final round, right? Uh, Yes. So on the Big 12 website, it says that uh, the championship round will air on Big 12 now on ESPN+. So, for example, if you watched the OU Spring game yesterday on ESPN+, if you just watch anything on there, it's the same way. You just go on the little app and you'll scroll over um, to see if you got it. If you don't have ESPN+, Plus, I don't know, what is it, Sam, like 8 bucks a month or something like that. So if you're – well, I mean, we had so many people. When we went up there watching it, I know that they would have paid how much ever it was um, to watch it. So it just says the championship round. I don't know if that will include – um, Sunday, or, or I'm sorry, the first couple of rounds, I don't think that it does, but uh, at least on the ESPN, ESPN app, you should be able to watch the final round if you have ESPN+. Play. Something is better than nothing, and I love watching me some college golf on television. It'll be interesting leading up to regionals and the national championship. The Sooners and the Cowboys both seem to be peaking at the right time. T-Dub, we got one more segment after this on the 73rd Hole Radio Show live on the Sports Animal. Everyone go subscribe to our podcast, the 73rd Hole Podcast. You can get it anywhere you get your podcast, plus the sportsanimal.com. And I just got a text, T-Dub. Taylor Gooch is coming on the show sometime this week. We got to get the Singapore Times figured out, but I just got confirmation that Taylor is coming on the pod sometime this week. So definitely go subscribe so you'll get that notification when that episode drops. This is Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the Sports Animal. One more segment here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show, live on the Sports Animals. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you today. And T-Dub, a big talking point in the game of golf has been pace of play. Um, And I heard, and and I didn't really think I was going to bring up Burt Kreischer on this show, T-Dub, so many times today, but they did an interview with him. And just as a, you know, casual golf fan like he is, he brought up an interesting point that made me think about pace of play when they interviewed him on the broadcast yesterday. If anyone doesn't know, Burt Kreischer is a, a comedian, does the machine, a uh, hilarious guy, but he does like golf. And he brought up a point, um, you know, that I don't think a lot of people think about when they're talking about live 
is that he said, I love this because I can sit on one hole for only three and a half hours and watch every single player come through. I don't have to wait all day uh, or, you know, walk around the entire course to, to watch these guys. And I think that the pace of play on live was, was really solid this week. And, you know, it's interesting because we, we've seen the last couple weeks at the Masters and then at the RBC, obviously one guy's name has been in the headlines, Patrick Cantlay, uh, for being slow. And Brooks Kepka said, you know, the group in front of us was brutally slowed. You know, John Rahm went to the bathroom seven times at, at in the final round at Augusta National. And then Matthew Fitzpatrick said that it's absolutely, absolutely ridiculous um, that the PGA Tour hasn't done anything about this. And uh, you know, after the RBC and so some strong words from other guys on the PGA tour, but I haven't really heard any of that from guys on live. It seems like, uh, you know, the shotgun start, I don't know whether that has anything to do with it, but these guys get around in, in four hours or less. Um, are there some things that live does other than the shotgun start that might, you know, be good for the PGA tour T-Dub? Well, I, I think one of the reasons their pace of play has been a lot faster. They said during the broadcast they're averaging about four hours, 20 minutes or so, which is a decent amount. I think that's close to 30 minutes faster than what the PGA Tour is. PGA Tour is close to five hours in a, in a lot of different areas. And, and so I think just having the limited fields, only having 48 players on the course, I think helps a lot. When you have everyone starting at the same time, too, I think, as you mentioned, the comedian is, is 100% right on the fact of, like, like when you go to Scottsdale, right, on 16, you have to – like, you have people starting on 10, right? So you don't have to wait that long. But but you'll have to get there, and you'll have to wait for people to get there, and then you'll have to wait on the little – the pause that's between the, the 10 and 1 wave, and then you'll have to what, just sit there and wait for those guys. So it can be a very long and, and really just long endeavor. And one thing I thought was interesting, too, they mentioned on the broadcast, so Jerry Foltz is bringing this up, is that – the PGA Tour technically has not stroked a player for slow play. Going all the way back to the 1990s is the last time that a player was actually stroked for it. You have people put on the clock. Now, major the time, championships but, have, like like the Masters did with that 14-year-old kid, right? Yes, the Masters did there. And then the PGA uh, Championship did it with a, a PGA, uh, PGA professional who had qualified a, a couple years ago or so. But, no, just an actual PGA Tour event, it has been that long. And I think one of the things they were mentioning um, earlier on the uh, – or yesterday on the live was that I think only they said twice all year, or even maybe it was all year or since Liv had started, it was one or the other, that a group had been put on the clock. So that means, for anyone who doesn't know, if you're put on the clock, two things two things have to happen. You have to be more than a hole behind the group in front of you, which which is a little bit hard to do in a shotgun start, especially when everyone's teeing off at the exact same time, um, and there's not a 1A, 1B, or anything like that. And then also, too, you have to be behind what is your allotted time for each hole. So every place of play, they have how long. Like par threes will take longer or shorter than par fours, and par fives will, obviously. So if you're behind on your time and also behind the hole in front of you, that's when you get put on the clock. And that's only happened, they said, twice uh, all the time on on Live Sam. So I think that that is very interesting. I just think that, too, just the players that they have to. I mean, Taylor Gooch, notorious for being one of the fastest guys uh, around. Matt Jones is is one of the fastest players around. You haven't seen him a whole lot because he hasn't been – up on leaderboard, but I just think that's a combination of the guys that they have as well, and, and just I think that that's one thing they want to be on too. Is hey guys, we're not going to play slow here. I don't think the teams are going to allow that because if you have a four man team and you have one guy who's playing super slow, holding everyone up, you're going to have the other teammates who are getting on them, right? And saying, hey man, you need to pick it up a little bit. So I think there's a combination of factors, Sam, that are leading to a little bit faster play on live tour, and some some of those things, Sam, that obviously you can't make the field small. I mean, they're going to try to do that with the uh, the elevated events next year, but you can't take a 150-person field 
and do a lot of these things as Liv are doing. But you can be more strict on it, as I feel like that Liv, and I think even more so just the tour. I think the players have been on other players more so about it than the PGA Tour for sure. Yeah, and I think it's a good thing that it's in, in the news, T-Dub, because a guy like Patrick Cantlay, now he's aware that he's slow. Number one, you have to be aware that you're slow, but the problem with Cantlay is he looks like he doesn't give a crap right? That he's slow. I mean, I know that at the start, at the start of the round at the first nine at the masters, they were held up because they went off both nines, but the back nine, they were slow because of Patrick Cantlay. And then we saw that again at the RBC. It looked like when, when Matthew Fitzpatrick and Jordan Spieth were in the playoff together, it looked like they were playing speed golf because they didn't have Patrick Cantlay, Patrick the ankle weight Cantlay, as we coined him on the podcast, weighing them down, T-Dub. And so I feel like the only fix here, and it's a simple fix, it's 2023, T-Dub. We have to have a standard bear walking with a clock, like you see in soccer with the guy holding up the sign with the clock on it. The clock says 45 seconds, and then the gray area shots, you get either one timeout or you add an extra 30 seconds if you if you have an interesting shot or if you're dealing with a rules official, the clock stops. It's not that complicated, but these guys are never going to get stroked until we have a guy with a clock following these groups. I feel like that's the only way to fix it, but Matt, if you're pissing Matthew Fitzpatrick off, you have to be doing something extremely wrong, right? We've seen Brooks Kepka make some comments about some guys, but Matthew Fitzpatrick isn't really that outspoken. And he said, Patrick Cantlay, you know, how slow he's playing is absolutely ridiculous. And I feel like that if, it, if Liv ever got to a point to where they felt like the pace of play was slow, I feel like it'd be a lot easier for them to implement the, this shot clock, right? Because, like, in, for example, in the first round, they played with everyone on their team. So they played foursome. So there's only 12 teams. So you only need 12 people with a clock. I mean, that's not exceptionally hard to do. Or even if they play threesomes, you only need 16 people out there to do that, as opposed to a PJ Turvin. If you have 140 players five by three, I mean, you need countless more people out there to, to, to be able to do that. And you need a lot more machinery. It's going to cost a lot more, all, all those other things. So I, I think that if Liv ever did come into a problem with slow play, they'd be able to implement this a lot faster than the Tur could. But also the Tur, as we've seen over the last year there, they've been willing to make changes from what Liv has done. So maybe they'll eventually see, hey, this is actually a huge problem that we have because – and, and also, too, it's not just a PJ Tour thing, right? Like, we talked about college golf a lot the last time. And college golfers are so slow. It's actually a joke how slow they are. And then even going back to, like Faraday mentioned, uh, during the drive, chip, and putt, you have those guys lining up a 15-foot putt taking five minutes to hit it. It's just absolutely astronomical. Yeah, so it's point, not just a PJ Tour yeah. thing. Yeah, all the aim point, point stuff all and, and, and the, the strack line books that they ended up getting rid of that actually slowed down play because guys are now taking longer trying to aim point and figure out what the slopes were when they used to be able to look at it in the book. The thing is, T-Dub, is that it's never going to get fixed until there's a clock. But in this day and age where we can see every single shot that these guys hit, I think the other point that we have to make here is that it can't be by group anymore. We have the technology to see every shot that these guys are hitting individually, and we know how long individual players are taking. And I feel like that's why you haven't seen someone stroked on the PGA tour since the 1990s, because the way the rule is written right now, you put the group on the clock. Right. And so I think that there's, there could be some animosity there between players. If one guy's slow and the groups on the clock, I think we have to penalize these guys individually and get rid of the whole group on the clock thing. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, that's one of the biggest jokes really 
of the entire rule, it's even more so of a joke that it doesn't get enforced. Is that, I mean, yeah, you could have one guy that's holding everything up, and then you have another guy who one hole later is looking for his ball or something in the weeds, and he's the one that gets stroked. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's absolutely criminal, and uh, it's so easy to now, to now know, right? It's okay, Patrick Cantley's in a group, and they're behind. Okay, it's more than likely Patrick Cantley, the reason that they're, they're playing slow. So let's, uh, let's do something about this. And uh, as you said, Sam, it's, it needs to be done uh, sooner rather than later. But uh, as we've seen on live, that it is possible to not play atrociously slow golf. It's just uh, you have to really be conscious of it to a certain extent. And uh, you need some motivation to not do it as well. And I think that's one thing that the PJ Tour is lacking is motivation to, uh, to, pick, the, to pick the speed up, essentially. No doubt about it. I completely agree with you, T-Dub. We are out of time here on the 73rd Hole radio show, but definitely, like I said, go subscribe to the 73rd Hole podcast and get that notification whenever we drop this interview with Taylor Gooch later on in the week. If you missed it, we talked about it first hour. Taylor Gooch, a winner for the first time on the Live Golf Tour. Um, And then we have the Zurich Classic coming up later on today and then also here on the sports animals stay tuned at two o'clock we have the kings and the warriors coming up for you on the radio here live on the sports animal and then also like t-dub said espn plus tomorrow for the big 12 golf championship at prairie dunes or actually not tomorrow but the final round so in three days uh it will be on espn plus the big 12 championship this has been taylor williams and preston pool for me sam humphreys Live on the Sports Animal, Oklahoma's leader in golf.